I hope we are all doing well. My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here today, and uh, it's exciting to be here. This is Palm Sunday. Hey! Oh, that's exciting. This is Palm Sunday! Actually, I, uh, I was talking, it's actually Donkey Sunday. That's what I like to think of it as, is Donkey Sunday. There's a big portion of the story um, in, in, in the Palm Sunday story that is about a donkey and is about the peaceable love of Jesus. So we are going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. I got something in my pocket. I apologize. I'm going to take it out because uh, it's going to distract the world. Well, my world anyways. Um, if you want to open your Bibles or your phones or your minds to Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 44. I'm going to read that through and uh, oh, it's it. Is it on here at all, you think? I don't know. Well, it's up there. You guys can see it up yeah, there. We'll it's on. It's on. Okay. All right. Let's start reading. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, the hill called, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told it. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying this colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the, on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully, began joyfully to praise God in a loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Today we are talking about how Jesus meets our needs, not our expectations. Expectations versus reality is a whole thing that we will always be coming to grips with throughout our life. Anne Lamont says, expectations are resentments under construction. That's what expectations are, they're resentments under construction. I am a, I am a sad sports fan, and uh, I cheer for a few sports teams that just never seem to do any good. I'm a Flames fan, and I'm from Calgary, I'm a Flames fan, boo. And, uh, and I always say about the Flames that it's like, it's the hope that kills you, you know? You're almost there, you're almost there. It's that time of year again, you're going to make the playoffs, and of course, we will not make the playoffs, and things will be tough, and it will continue on in a horrible existence of being a sports fan of my teams. 
It's, uh, it's the beginning of the season. It's the Blue Jays. Very exciting. Everyone's excited. It's the hope that kills you because your expectations of what's about to happen are quickly met by a team loss or something like that. My son, he just turned 10. Very exciting. Um, 10 years old is always very exciting. It's a, it's a big time. You get double digits. Your, your things are happening. You're, you're the big 1-0. And one of the big exciting things he had was a journey to Circle K. The Circle K is in Rutland over here. Um, but we live in Ellison by the airport. And so he's excited to walk with his sister to, to the Circle K. So the expectation of what that event is going to be like are very huge. It's very exciting for him. So him and his sister decide to walk there. They're, they're kind of going along Lata Road and down McCurdy, and they get there. And of course, for some reason, he has his money, and he's excited, and he buys a two-liter bottle of pop. And it's a big two-liter bottle of pop, you know. And it's like, how are you going to get that back home now? And the expectations turn to reality as he starts walking the other way with a two-liter bottle of pop. And he's like thinking to himself, you know what? Selah, my older daughter, she is 14. It's not like they're both 10 walking around the, uh, around the world. But she's 14, turning 15. He's like, we got to go this way. And I say to Selah, Selah, you're 14, turning 15. You know which way to go back. And she's, yeah, but he, I didn't want to hear him whine the whole way back. So they decide to walk back on Old Vernon Road. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm the worst parent in the world. I have these two little kids walking along old Vernon Road with his two-liter bottle of pop, and the expectation quickly turns to reality of what he's undertaken here, and it's just an absolute abysmal end to that trip. And so our expectations and our reality are two different things. That's why every New Year's party you go to is a letdown, because you have a year of expectations to this New Year's party, and it will always be a letdown. You should have just stayed home and watched the ball drop in New York, and everything would have been, you would have been in your pajamas, and life would have been good. Anyways. Our world is expectation versus reality. Instagram, anticipation of life goals, anticipation of your spouse's goals, what they should be doing with their life, your anticipation of where am I, what should I have accomplished now, and why am I at this place that I'm at. When you get to this age of, tender age of, uh, I'm 43 now, um, there is this thought that I would have been somewhere by this point that might not have been where I am. Or maybe I think to myself, I should have done this, or I'm now I'm listening to uh, certain people, entertainers that are much younger than me that seem to have done much more with their life, or whatever the case is. Our life is a constant reevaluating of our expectations and our reality. In the story that we read today, we are seeing a few different timelines that come together. So I'm just going to skip over this part here. A few different timelines that are coming together in a very, very historic moment. I would say that this historic moment is, is right up there. It is the precursor to Good Friday and is the precursor to the Resurrection Sunday. But it is a big, big moment, not just in the Christian calendar, but the history of the world. It is the presentation of the peaceable gospel of Jesus being shown to the people of Jerusalem. No more will it be this war-fighting, anger-whipping-up time. This will be a time of love and peace that God shows. We have a crescendo. 
Everything that has been done up until this point is leading up to this next week. Since Adam and Eve, since they left the garden and Cain and Abel, Abraham and Moses, the Exodus, the wandering for 40 days, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, when the Christmas story came and Jesus comes and his parents are looking for him in the temple and Jesus calls his disciples and Jesus turns water to wine and he feeds the 5,000, he walks on water. All of these moments are up until this very time when he walks and comes in to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. We have this great expectation, and as the crowd is growing, the expectation grows. You can almost see three crowds forming. You have the one crowd coming alongside Jesus who've been kind of, you can almost imagine them going from town to town, seeing the miracles in Galilee, seeing the water to wine, seeing, the, seeing Jesus raise Lazarus. The feeding of the 5,000, that gained a whole bunch of followers. And now they're kind of coming in like they're friends with him. Of course, you're walking in, you're like, I'm with that guy. That's my guy. And they're coming in. This big crowd is gathering around Jesus as he walks in. There's another crowd that is, that is already in Jerusalem. And they anticipate a king that comes. They're anticipating Judas Maccabeus, who we'll get to later who once brought a great victory. They're anticipating a great warrior. They call him the son of David because the son of David is the one that brings the great victories, the one that brings the great battles, the one that brings greatness and strength. So they're there and they have their palm branches and they're waving them. They're excited. Bring him in. And then you have another crowd on the other side of the city. And they're waiting for Pilate because Pilate's coming in. And Pilate's riding a great war horse. And as Pilate comes in, he's coming in to assert his power, to assert his authority, and to allow them to, to release one of the prisoners who they deem worthy to be released. There is a whole host of great expectations in this moment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, bringing the kingdom, and what will that kingdom look like? If I ask you to take a moment and picture Palm Sunday, my guess would be that in most minds you would go towards the image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem in the palm branches. I remember the, uh, the old Jesus movie. It always goes to my head. When I think of Palm Sunday, I think of him coming in and then the palm branches being waved in this big moment. But it's interesting in this story. We can't always, you know take the amount of verses that are attributed to one thing and attributed to something else as exactly what the weight is. But this, verse, this, this section of verses, there's about six or seven verses that are, that are actually geared towards the donkey. And there's like three or four or five verses of him actually riding into Jerusalem. So there's actually more weight placed, placed on the actual donkey. That's like me telling you all about my Ford F-150, 1997 Ford F-150 for the next half hour and then kind of getting to the point at the end. It doesn't really make sense. Why are we talking, talking about the, the vehicle that he came into Jerusalem on? Why don't we talk about him coming into Jerusalem? Because we all have this memory of how these things work. And we all have these expectations about how these things work. But there's a prophecy in Zechariah 9 that says, Re Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
righteous and victorious and lowly. These two words, these two places don't really make sense to us. And so what we remember is we will always remember that moment of him coming in to Jerusalem with him and the palm branches. That's why we call it this Palm Sunday. We're thinking about this. But there is a shift that needs to take place in our expectations about who Jesus is. As we celebrate the victory, as we celebrate the life, what victory are we actually celebrating? See, we have this donkey coming in, but there's a war horse, a great horse coming in on the other side of the city, and people are looking at the horse. People are looking at the victory. What they were doing is they were praising Jesus for not what they had seen, but what they had thought they had seen. Do you understand what I'm trying to say with that? They're they're, they're praising Jesus for what they had thought they saw. They thought they saw a great son of David coming in to bring victory to them, for them in a certain way. But Jesus says, no, no, no. It's something different. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Anybody ever heard of the Mandela effect? Hands up. Oh, good. This is fun. This will be a little bit of a... The Mandela effect was developed by, uh, it was a phenomenon developed by researcher Fiona Broom, who in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s had remembered Nelson Mandela passing away in prison in the 80s. Does anybody think that they remember, did anybody think that they remembered Nelson Mandela passing away? Obviously now we know he didn't. He passed away in 2013. But the Mandela effect is something that a great group of people always remember as something happening. Something that is actually different than what happened in human history. I have a few examples of them. They're always fun. Uh, King Henry VIII. Uh, anybody ever seen the painting of King Henry VIII eating a turkey leg? No, you haven't. See, that's this is the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Is that what it said? You think so, but it's actually not. It's magic mirror on the wall. The location of New Zealand, this might, might, might be a little bit. Is it northeast or southeast of Australia and New Zealand? Anybody want to be daring enough to say, is it northeast or southeast? It's southeast. You think it's northeast? It's southeast of New Zealand. The barren, what kind of bears are they? The Berenstein Bears or the Berenstein Bears? The Berenstein Bears. I think the most, ex- oh, actually, one of, what, the second most exciting one is the Monopoly Man. Does he have a monocle? Hands up if he has a monocle. Well, you got, you, you, I'm tricking you, aren't I? No, he doesn't have a monocle. And then, of course, Luke, I am your father. We all know that line, don't we? Ah, he doesn't say that. It says, no, I am your father. We all remember things the way we want to remember things. We place our memories, we place things in the way that we think that they should be. I remember a time driving through England, I tell you, it's like it's yesterday, and I remember driving through England, I was living there for a while, and I looked out the, okay, you're going to watch me here, watch me. I looked out the side, while I was driving, I looked out my window, and I saw a certain thing, and I did a certain thing at that moment, I looked out the window, and that's how my memory is. What is wrong with me driving, looking out this window? What's wrong with that situation? I was on this side of the car, and I was looking out that window, but I cannot change my memory from looking out that window, even though I promise you I was looking out that window because it's impossible that I was looking out the other side. But our minds do these things where we just choose to remember things the way we want to see them, especially when the consequences are dire. 
What we see is what we want to see. The people didn't see what they didn't want to see. They saw a warrior who had managed to build up. They had managed to build up, but they didn't see what Jesus was doing, what he was saying, what he was going to do. They saw what they all they saw what we all see, what we want to see, rather than what we need to see. If you take a moment to imagine the donkey and the horse, from the donkey and the horse's perspective coming in to Jerusalem. You have a donkey and you kind of look him in the eyes and you're like, try to figure out what this donkey is thinking. It's like, all these eyes are on me, but they're not on me. They're looking at me, but they're looking at something else. I am part of something big. I am part of something historic here, but there's something not about me. It's something here. I am being used in this moment to be able to usher in something bigger than me. But you see a horse, a war horse, and that's all you see. You see Pilate coming in on the other side. You see the great warriors. You see the great fighters of old in their war horses. And all you see is their military vehicles. You see the tanks. You see the weapons. You see the destruction. And so what the horse sees is everyone looking at the horse. Look at me. Look how strong I am. And it's that, it's that show of strength and power that Pilate and these warriors want you to see. But what Jesus wants us to see is him, the king, the one coming, bringing a message of hope and peace. The Mandela is on full effect. The Mandela effect is on full effect in uh, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to follow, praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, a great psalm to sing. And he said, then they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're, they're, they're reigning in this idea of peace. And some people may definitely be reigning, uh, calling in this, this God of peace who they know who Jesus is because they've seen the signposts. But... Most of them are calling in for a king to come and bring them peace through battle. They want a peace through war, and that will never bring peace. So much so that Jesus pushes against that in chapter 20. It says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He quotes back to them Psalm 118, which they are quoting to him. Psalm 118, this is, they're talking about blessed is one who comes in the name of the Lord is Psalm 118. And later in Psalm 118, it says, this is the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They saw Jesus coming in. They want that mighty warrior. But when he doesn't do what they want him to do, they reject that cornerstone because that cornerstone isn't strong enough for their plans and their ideas and their kingdom to come through. He says, you're not enough. You're not enough. We're going to reject that cornerstone. Jesus is like, I am the cornerstone. I will, you can build on me, and nothing will fail when you build on me. But he, they, he didn't do what they wanted him to do, so they reject him. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is a messianic introduction of a new kingdom, of a new way of thinking, of a new life, of a new love. And the Pharisees wanted to keep quiet. Keep them quiet because we don't want to see what's happening here. We don't want to see this new message that you have. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to bring in this message. They're going to, they're going to proclaim it. And if they don't proclaim it, the rocks are going to crowd. Someone's going to be proclaiming this message because I am God and God brings love and God brings life. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. In a world addicted to war, peace will not come to the hands of those clutching weapons and poised to push nuclear buttons. Peace will only come to the hands of those who are open to love and dare to hold no weapon but prayer. If peace is to come, it will come because there are people who dare to believe and that peace is possible. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. You can't get to peace without peace. You can't force peace in there. You bring love and peace, or you don't have peace at all. But as long as we, we reject the things that make for peace, because we are more convinced by the way of war than the way of peace, then the Lord weeps. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' Jesus' tears are the core of the Christian gospel. They are at the core of the Christian gospel. Luke chose not to show Jesus tear up in the Lazarus story. He chose to show Jesus tearing up as he looks into Jerusalem, sees the people, sees the path that they are on, knowing that there is no peace in the path that they are on, only peace through him. And he cries and he weeps bitterly as he goes into Jerusalem because he knows there is no peace in war. There is no peace in fighting back. There is no peace in vengeance. There is only peace in the kingdom of God. The expectations of a king that doesn't cry is not the reality of a king that we worship. Jesus mourns with those who mourn. He weeps with those who weeps. He walks beside those who are going through difficult times. We all go through difficult times. We all have expectations that are unmet. And he walks us through that. He doesn't skip over that. He walks through the darkest times. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death, the king that meets our needs. He's the king that meets our needs, not our expectation, who loves and cares for us. A while back, a while back I met a, a, a family from Kamloops. I was a youth pastor in Kamloops for years, and they had looked me up after a number of years knowing that I had, I had helped their son out in a certain situation here and there. And they came back into Kamloops, and uh, they came into Kelowna, and they looked me up, and, and they called, and I met with them, and the mom had been going through some real difficult times. She had gotten an accident, and she wasn't able to get back into work, and their son had been getting into a difficult situation with, with drugs and all the, all the rest. And they said, I know that if I come talk to you, you will make things better. And I'm like, I'm not going to, maybe... But what they were saying is that they say, if I come to you who are a pastor, who, who knows Jesus, you can usher us into the presence of God. They didn't say it like that, I promise you. But that's what we can do. We can usher people into the presence of God. That is the beauty of who we are and who we love. 
There's a thing called the dopamine roller coaster. Have you ever heard of the dopamine roller coaster? All right, lots of lessons today. I'm going to read an article from New York Magazine written by Jonathan Merritt. On November 9, 2016, New York Magazine published an article on the science of disappointment. The article opened by stating the obvious, which is, the feeling of being let down is actually one of life's most toughest emotional experiences. Of course, most people don't need a magazine article to let us know that this is true, that disappointment hurts. A spouse or a partner, a person who made the butterflies dance inside you, cheats on you, and then they hide it. Your colleagues smeared you in a meeting to steal your promotion that you earned. A child you prayed for ever since birth storms out of the house, swearing never to return. A forgotten birthday, a withheld apology, a bucket full of lies when someone from someone that you would die for. Disappointment is unavoidable. It's an unavoidable part of being human. But as the New York Magazine article noted, the disappointment, the experience is a psychological, not just emotional. The feeling of disappointment is linked to your levels of dopamine, the brain's pleasure center. A chemical is released during a positive life experience, and the dopamine systems in your brain don't just react when you experience them, they predict when you are excited and anticipating something. So if I'm about to anticipate something, if I'm about to anticipate a great event in my life, my dopamine rises. So I start to get excited. I start to get, an, I start to get anticipation of something great that is happening. New Year's Y2K. <laughs> something great's about to happen. Everyone's excited about something to happen. And so your excitement grows and your life grows and your, and your thing and your, your dopamine starts to spike in your brain and then you're about to get a double shot of dopamine when that actually happens and when your expectations are not met, you have a double crash of sadness and heartache. And this is what's happening with this crowd. There's a crowd gathering, it's a big crowd and their expectations are huge and their expectations are great. And Jesus doesn't deliver on their expectations. And there's a drop of dopamine. There's a drop of pain. And there's a rejection. And this dopamine effect is, re effect is real. Because Jesus had recently brought Lazarus back, Lazarus back from the dead. There was now an expectation of how things were going to go. He was going to bring lots of people back from the dead. We have, we're going to be bring lots of things happening. There's going to be lots of great things happening. There's going to be an amazing amount of miracles happening. Everything's going to happen. He's going to feed 5,000 all the time. We're going to have a great warrior. We're going to have a great king. And everything's going to go all right. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to win all the battles. We're going to get our, we're going to get our country back again. We're going to get our nation back again. It's going to be great. And it drops. And he doesn't do what they want. I spoke about Judas Maccabeus earlier. Judas Maccabeus, the palm branches signaled the crowd's high expectations, a symbol largely lost on those who are separate from the culture and the chronology of the story. Jewish history told of a man named Judas Maccabeus, a freedom fighter who entered Jerusalem 200 years prior. As he approached, people waved palm branches and sang hymns. When Judas finally arrived, he defeated the Syrian king, recaptured the temple, and expelled the pagans. And he reigned for a century before the Romans took it back again. There's an expectation that Jesus is coming to refulfill this plan to come back in and take back 
Jerusalem, take back Israel from the Romans and win again. And their heart drops because Jesus comes in and he ushers a new kingdom. That kingdom is fleeting. There's a new kingdom that will last forever. We constantly have expectations on who Jesus is. Is he our matchmaker? Is he our bellhop? Is he our personal medical and, men and mental doctor? Is he our personal accountant? Jonathan Merritt says in that article, the wor this works pretty well. As long as God seems to do what we want him to do. But the moment he doesn't conform to our expectations, our whole world rattles. A baby is born with a disability. A person you love abandons you for another. A friend dies before her time. The expectations that you placed on God ferment into a distrust, into disappointment. Again, as author Anne Lamont says, expectations are resentments under construction. Expectations are resentments under construction, and we have those expectations. Stephen Davidowitz sifted through a decade worth of Google searches and found what the most Googled question about God was. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God need so much praise? Why does God hate me? Why did God make me ugly? There's a thread there, and it's a disappointment in God. It's a disappointment that things didn't turn out the way that you wanted. It's a disappointment that life isn't perfect. We don't want perfection, but we want some good things. God, why aren't you doing that for me? What God is doing in this story on Palm Sunday, riding in a donkey, a donkey is he is disillusioning them. There is a whole host of people, three crowds with an illusion of who God is. And that illusion is not helpful. We see disillusionment as a bad thing, but actually taking away an illusion that isn't real is helpful. Jesus is taking away an illusion that they think that they can win and they think they can fight their way to peace. That illusion needs to be torn down. Our hope is dismantling our false narratives of identifying and realizing that our identity is in the King of Peace, Jesus. God offers us his presence for this life. God doesn't offer us a parachute for this life. A parachute is something that gets us above and away from this life and the heartache that it brings to float us above the problems, to float us away from the problems. But God doesn't offer us a parachute. God offers us his presence. What we experience as disappointment is an invitation to give up holding tight to what we hope is true, to try to stop casting God in our own image, but rather see God for who he is, and we are made in his image. God loves us. God cares for us. He wants to be with you in your heartache. He wants to walk with you through the pain. Because life begins before death. Our world and hope is good 
one day we will be with God in eternity. But that doesn't change what's happening right now. And our reality right now is hard and difficult. But God offers you his presence to get through this life because there's hope within this life and there's hope before death and resurrection as well as in death and resurrection. There's hope now. Have you ever watched the movie Click with Adam Sandler? Anybody ever watched that movie? I, there we go, a couple people. Just as many people as no Mandela effect. What the movie Click is, is Adam Sandler is kind of sitting there in life and, he, and he, him and his wife get in a fight. He doesn't like that fight, so what does he do? He has this magic controller and he fast forwards that fight. So, oh, hey, everyone's thinking, that could be good. Fast forward, I'm out of here. Just for like 10 minutes, the fight's over, she gets mad, she leaves, and you didn't say anything, I'm out of here, and she leaves, awesome. He misses the fight. Everything's good. But then he has this magic power of this controller that allows him to fast forward through the difficult times. He goes on to the next moment, he's having a fight with his kids, he fast forward that moment. Whew, that was easy. Then he's having dinner, and it's a boring dinner, and he's like, this is kind of annoying, I'm going to fast forward this. He goes to his daughter's play and it's getting really long and, you know, you know the, her play was in the, in the grade one portion. Now he's got to get through four, five, six, seven portion or whatever. So he fast forward the rest of the play and then he gets addicted to this and he starts fast forwarding, starts fast forwarding. Eventually he misses his whole kid's lives and his whole marriage. He ends up this old man who missed life because he skipped over the hard parts. What Jesus offers us, he wakes up after, that was all a dream by the way, he wakes what Jesus offers us is his presence through those difficult times and his presence in those good times. So we don't have to fast forward life because life is good. Life is difficult and is so much better with God's presence. As you walk through this life, it is difficult, it is horrible, it is painful, it is good. It is all the emotions that we've ever had and God's presence walks with us. What the people of Jerusalem wanted was a fast-forward button to parachute them past, to bring peace through war, to fast-forward that process. But God says, no, I'm not fast-forwarding anything. I'm going to sit with you in your presence and bring you hope. Worship team, you can come on up. What I want to challenge you with today, and hopefully that we can take home, is that this Palm Sunday... Jesus comes in bringing his kingdom of peace and love and hope for you right now in your situation. For you right now where you are. The disillusionment that we have with this world, he wants to take that away. He wants to take away the illusion that we've had and he wants to bring a reality of his love into your life. So if you're here today and life hasn't equaled what you had hoped it would equal, Know that God's not causing that. God is sitting with you in that. God is sitting with you in your life, bringing his presence. Perhaps you don't know God's presence. Perhaps you've missed that moment. While we sing this next song, I want you just to invite God's presence into your heart. We'll have some elders or myself will be up here to pray with you. But we'll just take some time to invite God's presence. Invite God's presence into a situation. Take some time, close your eyes. Look at those moments of disappointment that you have. 
where things haven't quite gone as the, as the story that you wrote went. And invite God into those moments.